right, we're going to have a little talk now. And before we talk, we usually chant a traditional chant to open the sutras. We have many, many rituals in Zen practice. Many, many traditional things that we do. Some of them seem mysterious if you don't know what we're chanting or doing. Sometimes it seems very exotic or strange if you've never encountered it before. But these practices we do Usually, if you understand what is being said or is being chanted, there's a reason. So this chant, which we always chant, says, the Dharma, the teachings, are incomparably profound. Very, very, very profound, very deep, and very subtle. And we see the teachings all around us in life. You know, it's not just in the book. It's not just what I'm saying. The things we're talking about are all in our day-to-day life. So it says, it's always encountered, but rarely perceived. We don't realize it, you see. But now we see, hear, and receive these teachings. We hear this, this, this wisdom. So may we all realize the Tathagata. The Tathagata means uh, the Buddha or all the teachers, not, not me, all the teachers, may we realize the real meaning. That's what we chant. We chant this three times. profound and infinitely subtle is always encountered but rarely perceived now we see hear receive and maintain this may we all realize the Tathagata's true meaning the Dharma, incomparably profound and infinitely subtle, is always encountered but rarely perceived. Now we see, hear, receive, and maintain this. May we all realize the Tathagata's true meaning. The Dharma, incomparably profound and infinitely subtle, is always encountered but rarely perceived. Now we see, hear, receive, and maintain this. May we all realize the Tathagata's true meaning. So there are many, many exotic things when you come 
not only to Japan, but also when you come to some place like this to practice uh, traditional art, Buddhism. And that leads to the question that you asked last week. Well, first off, why do we do all these things? But also, is this a philosophy? Is this a religion? What is it? Why are we bowing? What is that statue over there? <clears throat> what are these things we're chanting? And I don't have an easy answer for you. Sometimes I want to get rid of all this old stuff. I like the rap version of the Heart Sutra because it kind of says, you know, this is not about how it sounds or whether you wear fancy, strange Japanese or Chinese clothing. This is all Chinese clothing. <clears throat> it's the meaning that's important and just getting, feeling it. When we chant, it's very, sometimes the meaning is strange and who is this statue? If you study these things, usually there's a reason for it. But sometimes it's just old and traditional. Someone asked me this week, why do we ring the bells this way? And I told him a story. One time I went to a Zen monastery, and I was just new to Zen. It was uh, actually not far from here. And I asked the same question to the monk. He always rang the bells and hit the drum a certain way. And I asked him, why? Why do we do this? And he didn't know. So he called over the old monk. And I said, why? Nine o'clock every night you hit the bell a certain number of times and you hit the drum a certain number of times. Why? And I think he didn't know. So he said to me, this is kind of a Zen answer where you don't know if he means I don't know or it's very deep. He said, we hit the bells this way because we hit the bells this way. This is, if you live in Japan for a while, you get a lot of answers like that. They do things, this is how we do the driving test because this is how we do it. Well, it turned out it's a clock. When they were in China, the monastery would be in the mountains, and just like a church or maybe the imam in uh, Islamic country, certain time, the imam and everybody knows, oh, five o'clock. So it was a clock, and they hit, and they say, now is nine o'clock. So they hit the bells, and they hit the drums, and all the farmers around would know that it's a clock. And the monks would know, now is the time at nine o'clock we have to do certain things. So there's a reason. The statue uh, reminds us of something, like a picture. I personally, uh, many religions in Islam, in uh, Judaism, and, and in early Buddhism, no pictures. You don't make a picture of truth. Sometime, many hundreds of years later, they started to make a statue. This is a Buddha. This is a teacher, a picture of a teacher, like Bodhidharma over there. And they say, because we need it to remember. Personally, if you go to many Zen monasteries, you go to the altar, there's nothing there, just empty space. Because it's not something that you, it's not a person, it's not a, a, a piece of wood. That what we're bowing to, what we're chanting to, is something 
It's everywhere, but we can't see it. That's what it, we were chanting here. It's all around us, but it's always encountered, but rarely perceived. We, we see it, but we don't realize. Some truth, something about us. So, so much of our Buddhist practice is to find these things, these truths about who we are and about life, but in an unusual way, by quieting the mind. Usually we try to figure things out and analyze. Who am I? Who is this? Where am I going in life? Where did we come from? We always analyze. But in our practice, we realize that sometimes we can realize things by doing the opposite. Stopping, quieting, just sitting. So when we bow, Sometimes, why do we bow? I just bow kind of gratitude to be alive. And that's enough. That's enough. When I chant, I chant because the, the meaning of the chant I know is very profound, but I just chant. And when I sit, we just sit. Now, let me exp get to explain a little why. This is a very famous book by a modern uh, Tibetan teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. He was a fellow who came um, to uh, mostly the United States, but he's in Europe and many places, uh, 1960s and 1970s. And he wrote this book called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. And I'll tell you what this book says, and I'll also tell you, like many good teachers, he did not take his own advice. <laughs> Spiritual materialism means that many people, when looking for uh, peace in life, or who they are, or uh, happiness, they don't know anything except to go to next thing. Then I'll be happy, then I'll, I'll get the meaning. I can't be content here. So for example, the most obvious thing is in modern consumer society, it's happening all over the world, not just in, uh, it's happening in your country, in your country, it's uh, of course America, is, this is the whole thing. We say that uh, in America our, our temple is a shopping mall. If I buy that coat, if I get that car, if I get that trip, if I get that boyfriend or girlfriend, then I will be happy. If I get that degree, if I become a doctor, a scientist, if I get, to, then I will, my life will be good. Well, most people find they get the coat, they get the car, they get the wife, they get the degree, and still something is missing. Still, something's missing. Because they don't know how to be still. Just be. Just sit. That's 
what we forget in this world now. If uh, my country, if we win that war, then we'll be good. If uh, everybody in the world had my political belief, then we'd be good. Only when this happens, then everything will be good. But we don't know how to just be in life. This practice reminds us how to just be. On the other hand, if we just be, we die. We stay in bed. We have things to do, to eat, to study, to get your degree. You need to we build a great society. We need to work. If we just were content, human beings would stay in the cave, never even invent fire. So people know how to do one, or they think the other. Our teaching is kind of um, to do both, like this. And not in excess to, that's important. You have to know when to stop. So for example, uh, I need to get my degree. Work hard for your degree. Be here now. When you get your degree, be there now, which is here, because you're, you're still here. When you get married, be there. If for some reason the person is not perfect, this is where it gets a little tricky. It's easier to explain with the car. He's thinking about getting a car, and it's an old car, okay? So maybe the car is good, maybe the car breaks down. Our way of thinking is, right now you have no car. Be here now. Okay, you're going to get the car. Do you really need it to be happy? Be here now. If you get the car, be here now. If it's bad car, be here now. If it's a good car, be here now. Of course, try to get good car, not bad. If you take your trip, this is very important, like Kim Hin. Be here now, be here now, be here now, be here now. When the trip is finished, be here now. Before the trip, be here now. In life, we're not going to tell you where to go, who to marry, who to not marry, to get divorced, not get divorced because it's wrong person, to get this job, to get that job, to buy the car, to not buy the car. This is life, I can't tell you. But be here now, be here now, be here now, be here now. This is our practice. We come here, it's very strange, and we sit still to remind ourselves what it means to be here now. This was what he called also spiritual materialism. He said people sometimes now look for religions in the same way. I'll try Islam. Uh, that Islam is not good. I'll try this other kind of Islam. Uh, okay, maybe I'll try uh, Buddhism. Uh, I don't like this Buddhism. I'll try the other Buddhism. 
Okay. Uh, like, I cannot tell you which to believe or to be atheist or not to believe. I can't tell you. All I can tell you is, be here now. Whatever you do. Many people don't know how to stop even religion. They say, uh, I tried this. Oh, it has all the answers. It's great. This is my guru. This is my teacher. And then I'm still not the happy. So I got to run to the next guy. And I got to run to the next guy. Just like in the shopping mall. I need to buy this and then I'll be happy. But I'm not happy. Now I have to buy this. Then I'm happy. I get the car. Then I'm happy. It's the same thing with religions, people you fall in love with or uh, things you buy. Our teaching is, we can't tell you what to believe. Even we Buddhists, we say you don't have to be Buddhist. You can be uh, Islamic, atheist, Christian, Jewish. All we teach is be here now. The reason I said he didn't follow his advice was, maybe he did, no one's sure. He had a drinking problem. He used to drink. He died of drinking. And he had lots of girlfriends, this guy. Now, it was the 1960s, you know, hippie time. And he came from Tibet. And he went a little wild, you know. So he was not the guy. He, he, they had wild parties. I mean, he was a crazy guy. But he always taught, be here now. <laughs> but the problem was he, he also went to excess. That's important, too. If you need a car to get someplace, fine. You don't need Mercedes-Benz from Buddhist point of view. Okay? You need food to eat, fine. Even to eat nice meal, sometimes. Go to a French restaurant, no problem, it's beautiful. But you don't have to be like Americans and eat, eat, eat and get 300 pounds, okay? You need money to live. Don't be prisoner of money, you see our teaching. So our teaching is also moderation too. Okay, this is very important. All right. So the question is, is um, this a religion or is it a uh, philosophy? I've uh, been doing this for 30 years. I'm not clear myself. I don't know. Uh, now, first off, I'll tell you, some people say I'm a Buddhist priest. You see, the, even that word priest is very deceptive because priest sounds like I'm you know, doing something to God and making some kind of magic. Or actually, a very bad translation. The actual word means kind of either teacher or companion or friend. Kind of the guy who, you know, kind of guide. A guide, maybe. Uh, friend. Companion. We have companion. As imam? No, no, no. In Kung Fu, we have companion. Companion? Yeah. In Kung Fu? It's from Zartosh. Zartosh. I don't know how you call it this. In, in, in Kung Fu, the really? concept came from Zartosh. We have companion. For the teacher? No, no. For teacher, for everyone. That for everyone. Good. Because that's what we are. That's what we are. We're all... Uh, friends. Now, you know, the guy, I've been doing this a while, so I tried to show you how, but basically you have to do this practice yourself. I don't give you any answers, that's the thing. I just kind of show you, it's better if you do this way. For example, you, know, you sit this way, do this with your mind, or if I see, I give you advice from experience, but that's all you can do. Now, 
is this a philosophy or psychology? Yes, because the Buddha's basic point was that in the mind we divide ourselves from life. And we divide ourselves from life. And the self and the world, there's a kind of friction. And I like this, I don't like that, and I need this, and I desire this, and I'm greedy for this. And the Buddha said, stop that. <laughs> stop the division, stop the judging, and the separation, the friction between you and the world softens or fades away, and there is kind of equanimity. See, this is a collection of famous koans. Koans are, we're going to read a couple. It's called The Book of Equanimity. Equanimity, I don't know if you know the word, means kind of peace and not being peaceful with whatever is, but kind of a positive way. You know, you see Buddha's statue, there's always a little smile on his face. Buddhism is basically a kind of positive belief, but also kind of equanimity, whatever is, just be there. Equanimity comes from equal. Everything, just be equal, whatever is, but it's also positive. So we practice equanimity with life. So Buddha was a psychologist because he knew the self, your dream of the self is always judging, dividing, I need that coat, I need that car, I need that religion, I need that person, I don't like this, or I don't want to get sick and die. I don't want to be uh, old. It's right here. And he said, if we can stop that and just be here, when you're old, just be here. When you're young, just be here. When you're healthy, just be here. When you're sick, just be here. Of course, take your medicine, do your exercise. You know, healthy is good. But when young, be young. Be old, be old. I'm now 50. People say sometimes, you feel old? Just be here. Even life and death, he said, is kind of here. But that's where it now crosses over into religion. Because he also said, or the, the teaching was that there is something wonderful and mysterious and miraculous about our being alive. How did we get here? And whatever that is, when we quiet the mind, we feel it's very close. For some reason, we're born, and the brain says, I'm a person, and then there's the whole world. And it's very strange. There's only two things in the universe, you feel. Me and everything not me. How does that happen? There's me. And he's not me, that table's not me, she's not me, but I feel like me. Well, when we sit Zen, that also kind of softens, sometimes fades away. So sometimes we realize the me and the not me, maybe not two things. So that's where it does cross over into a religion, because that 
whatever it is. But there's this other thing about Buddhism is sometimes we don't say what that is. The Buddha, when he was asked many questions, what happens when we die? Uh, he kind of said, just be here. <laughs> when you're dead and they put you in the ground, just be here. Or if you go to heaven, just be here. Uh, if you're reborn again and you come back, just be here. Most people don't know how to just be here. So I'm alive. I don't want to die. I'm afraid. Of course, that's natural. But also we teach just be here. Uh, when you're sick in bed, I used to work in a, a hospital for patients with cancer. You'd be surprised. Many of them really know this word. Patients who are dying. There's something about the human body. They become very peaceful at the end. Many, many people. I was very surprised. I think at the first you resist and you fight. But at a certain time, these people who had cancer would kind of just go, oh, okay. At the end, I met so many people who were very, very content and peaceful, and they had days to live, weeks to live. Just be here. That's our teaching. So we have these koans. Let me see the time, because I don't want to take too OK. I'm just going to read a few. Koans uh, are these mysterious statements of Buddhism that um, sometimes they're really hard to understand. One of the reasons they're really hard to understand is Unfortunately, they sound very mysterious because they're very old, and they were written in kind of slang. So, and poetry and, and references to poems, and, and so it's just like if today, I don't know, what's the slang? I was to say, uh, uh, gee, I'm really out of touch. I'm old back. What's the slang uh, today? Uh, uh, get jiggy with it. Get jiggy? jiggy with it is get you or know. Get fun. What? Like get jiggy. Yeah, get jiggy with it. Okay, so if they if you wrote this, if I gave a talk right now and I said get jiggy with it, and one thousand years from now, people listen to my talk and they go, what's a jiggy? It's kind of like that. So sometimes these sound mysterious because they were written that way. So I'm just going to read a few, and, and they tell us things about life. A monk asked Master Umon, when not producing a single thought, is there anything wrong or anything not wrong? Master Umon said, Mount Sumeru. Yeah. Now, Mount Su no, it sounds strange. Why did he say Mount, Mount Sumeru? To traditional people, may mean Mount Everest, but it meant the whole everything. Because the universe was pictured to be around Mount Sumeru. So in other words, uh, it's saying uh, Mount Sumeru was not just the universe. It meant all possibility. All possibility. Everything in the cosmos, everything that could be, or might be, or maybe could be when the mind is quiet. When you start thinking, you make things as they are. 
You make your life peaceful here. You make your life good here. You make what you need here. But when the mind is quiet, there is no fault. Try another. This is about a great teacher who was sick. Great Master Basso was ill. The temple priest asked, Master, how is your health these days? He replied, Sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. There's a couple of ways to understand sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. Some days are sunny, some days are not. That's one way. Actually, uh, sun-faced Buddha means, uh, was a Buddha who lived a very, very long time, for thousands, 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 thousands of ages. And moon-faced Buddha just lived a second. So another way he was saying was, you live as long as you live. When you live long, just be there. When you live short, just be there. When you're healthy, just be there. When you're sick, just be there. See, they're not so mysterious uh, when you really... Ah, this is another one about how special ordinary life is. A fellow came to the teacher and wanted all the great answers of life. Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? Where did the universe come from? What is time? What is God? So a monk asked the master, your student has just come here. I've just entered this monastery. I have all these questions. Please, master, instruct me. Tell me. And the master said, did you have breakfast? The monk replied, yes, I, I just got here. I just uh, had breakfast. Thank you. But please tell me the answer to all my questions. And the master said, oh, you finished breakfast? Wash your bowl. Put the dishes away. I'll just leave you with that. Okay. So uh, now let's sit Zazen. And when you sit, uh, just be here. You recite this. teachings penetrate into each thing in all places so that we and every sentient being together may realize the Buddha's way. All Buddhas throughout space and time, all Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, Maha Krishna Paramita. Let's sit Zazen for a few minutes.
Can't hit.
Zazen?
Start a new recording now.